Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. Very pleased to have back for the third time Mrs. Phyllis Schlafly. Now, she is a conservative lawyer. She's the founder and president of the Eagle Forum and author or editor of over 20 books, including A Choice, Not an Echo, Who Killed the American Family and the Supremacist, The Tyranny of Judges and How to Stop It, and, of course, many more. Her monthly newsletter called the Phyllis Schlafly Report is now in its 47th year. She is the hale and hearty age of 91 years old, and you can find more of her information and writing at eagleforum.org. One of my favorite stories about Phyllis Schlafly is that she wrote a lot about military and legal matters. She was criticized roundly um, and perhaps baselessly for not being a lawyer So while the mother of six children, she just went out and became a lawyer. She also fought the um, leftist agenda in the pushback against the Equal Rights Amendment and uh, virtually single-handedly killed that constitutional amendment. A really formidable uh, and intelligent lady. Uh, I look forward to our conversation with Mrs. Phyllis Schlafly. So uh, thanks so, so much for taking the time, Mr. Schlafly. What does it mean for the conservative movement, the the passing of Justice Scalia? It is a tremendous event because he was the most distinguished man on the court, knew the law better than anybody else, and believed in interpreting the Constitution the way it was written. He he discounted all of this talk by the liberals that we have a living Constitution that they can rewrite according to their own views as the years go on. And uh, it is a, a, a document of words. And it is what has enabled our country to have the best prosperity and the best freedom of any country in the world. It seems strange to me uh, what they call originalism or the idea that you would look at the um, context of the Constitution at the time it was written. I can't think of any other contract that people are so eager to, quote, reinterpret after the fact according to the whims of the moment. That wouldn't seem to me to be any kind of contract at all. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's what the liberals do all the time. Uh, They're trying to put new meanings into words and uh, try to say that something is constitutional when it isn't. And then, of course, Obama basically ignores the Constitution and uh, does what he uh, wants to do with what he calls executive action. And uh, most of us think a a great deal of what he does is not constitutional. It also seems to me that the liberal side or the Democrat side of the American political spectrum seem to be having their, I don't know, finger on the scale, so to speak, in that they don't seem to want to take their ideas to the American population for any kind of popular vote. What they seem to want to do is pursue judicial activism and also stack the deck with Democrat-friendly immigrants. Uh, is, Is that your impression, too? Yes, it certainly is, and that's why immigration is a is a, maybe the number one issue in our country today. They're bringing in all these people from other countries who have no idea of what our Constitution is, no idea of limited government. They, they think they should rely on the government to do everything. And they come over here and they get on uh, all kinds of money aid uh, and... Uh, they, they don't seem to learn what our Constitution is all about. Uh, so uh, we want to stick to the Constitution the way it was written and what it meant when it was written. And if you could help my listeners and watchers understand what is meant by the phrase that's bandied about a lot, but usually without much explanation, uh, judicial activism or making the law rather than interpreting the law. 
Well, that's the theory of the liberals, that the Constitution is a living document, and uh, it uh, can be interpreted freely by later Supreme Court justices and uh, give new meaning to some of the words. And uh, we don't believe in that at all. We believe in the Constitution the way it was written. It's a wonderful document. It's the source of our in, enormous prosperity and freedom. And other countries, if, if other countries want to have what we have, they should follow our lead and not try to invade with their numbers of people and come illegally to vote in our country. I wonder also the degree to which having the fear of Trump in the uh, Republican leadership at the moment, because it seems to me that the Republican base certainly want uh, uh, the Republicans to push back on any new nominee to the Supreme Court by Obama. I also get the feeling that without Trump in the wings, they might actually fold. Some of the rhinos might fold for this, but with the fear of Trump behind them, it seems that they might have some kind of spine to stand up to an appointment before the end of Obama's term. Well, there are certain a group of people, mostly rich donors, uh, who uh, are now called the establishment, whom I'm used to call the kingmakers, and they successfully uh, nominated one Republican loser after another, and uh, we don't want them uh, the one that they the one they want to choose, and uh, they are absolutely dead sense against Trump because they think he won't take orders from them. He's not dependent on their money. He has his own money. And uh, so I think it's uh, very important that the grassroots speak up and uh, get the nominee they want. Now, they're talking about now, it may be a convention where nobody will arrive with 51% of the vote. And if nobody arrives with 51% of the vote, uh, that means, I think, after one ballot, uh, the the delegates will be free to vote whoever they want. And uh, I hope that it's going to be a grassroots chosen nominee and uh, not somebody who's chosen by the big donors. Because they they've given us a bunch of losers. Well, I guess it, it wins for them uh, in terms of the uh, number of or the amount of uh, cheap labor that the big business interests uh, can get uh, out of the Republicans' massive desire to extend the H-1B visas, the visa program, and immigration as a whole. Well, you've put your finger on the the reason what they're doing. Uh, the big donors are doing it because they want the cheap labor coming in. And uh, the cheap labor is even in the H-1B visas uh, because uh, uh, if, you, if you talk to any guy who's gotten an engineering degree but doesn't get, isn't able to get a job, you see the result of that. And uh, they bring in the foreigners and they, uh, they simply uh, let, let, pay them lower wages and uh, they think that's a neat system. But we don't want that. We America grew great because we had a great growing middle class and families were strong and that's what we want to have. But we can't we can't have it when we have these uh uh big donors and so called kingmakers uh telling us who to nominate. Well, and I think the argument could strongly be made 
that one of the reasons that the labor is so cheap is not just because they come from countries with lower wage expectations, but because the medical, welfare, social, educational costs are shouldered by the U.S. taxpayers rather than having to be included in the wages that would have to be paid to people coming in by big business. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's, it's an outrageous system. And uh, we don't, we don't want to be have... Uh, the biggest percentage of our people dependent on handouts from the government. That's not the way America was built. And it's unfortunate that now a, a tremendous percentage of our population is dependent on that check they get from the government every month. What is it in Trump's platform? And I know that you have uh, been very um, pro-Trump, uh, obviously, recently. What is it in Trump's platform that the Republican political class is not recognizing the connection that Trump has with the um, the grassroots Republicans? Well, I think that uh, it's clear that uh, Trump is his own man. He's not taking orders from the from the uh, kingmakers. Uh, he's doing what he thinks is the right thing, and he's trying to make America great again. And that really resonates with the uh, with the middle class in our country. It resonates with people who want jobs and think the immigrants are taking our jobs, and they are indeed. Uh, if if you're a if you're a guy just coming out of school, you need an entry level job, and uh, that's what. Uh, these uh, foreigners are taking, and uh, we can't let them do it because that's um, that's just destroying our country. Well, and I think, in particular, among the lower wage members of the American society, uh, or people who are having a tough time getting a job. Uh, in an increasingly automated world, I'm thinking in particular that uh, Trump seems to have great appeal among. Uh, American citizen blacks and Hispanics because uh, by keeping out the cheap labor, he's going to open up a lot, a lot of opportunities for those who are having a tougher time these days getting onto the lower rung of the economic ladder. Yes, but uh, don't forget that Trump said he's going to uh, uh, send the illegals back to where they came from. And I want to tell you, I've been writing a monthly newsletter for many, many years, and my current one, which is going in the mail in the next few days, has a picture from the newspapers, I think it was 1954, uh, when Eisenhower uh, sent back millions of illegals. You know, they say it's impossible to ship them back. Well, this picture shows them uh, loading the illegals in the, 19, the 1950s uh, onto a train. And uh, that's the way they sent them back. That was the year of trains, if you can remember back that far. And uh, uh, it's uh, terribly important that we not let all these people come in who take jobs from Americans. When, when our kids get out of college or get out of high school, they need an entry-level job. And that's what uh, the illegals and the uh, immigrants are taking away from us. Well, and uh, you've made the case recently that America, since 1965, has taken, what, 59 million uh, immigrants in, uh, largely, of course, from non-European countries. And uh, this has become what many people have grown up with. Uh, I was born in 1966, so this is kind of what I grew up with, was mass third-world immigration into Western countries. But prior to that, 
it very much wasn't the case for at least a half century and even before that. I wonder if you could help people understand what it was like before Kennedy's bill of 65. Well, we had a very homogeneous population. Everybody speaks English, and uh, that's an essential. Uh, when you become a citizen of America, you, you promised uh, to learn and speak English, and that's uh, terribly important. It's a unifying uh, it's, uh, condition. And... Uh, we, what they're doing to our country now is so bad. All you have to do is look at Germany. Now, I thought the Germans were tough, but the Germans decided, Andrea Merkel decided she was going to let all these, these Syrians in, and nobody has the capability of vetting them to find out if they're criminals or not. And they've come in, and, and the thing that's so shocking about a lot of these criminals is that not only are they criminals, but they go after very young girls. I'm talking about 10, 11, 12-year-old girls. You know, you can imagine an American guy being attracted by some attractive woman, but Americans don't go after 10 and 11-year-old kids. Yeah, it is uh, what is going on in Europe. I mean, I could almost imagine the next wave of immigration might be uh, Christian Europeans uh, fleeing uh, the disaster escape that is uh, shaping up in uh, in Europe. Well, so they're trying have... to keep the Christians from getting here. And uh, yeah. the Christians are certainly a lot of refugees. However, we've got to watch out. We've got to vet everybody. You know, the Boston bombers came in claiming they were refugees from persecution, and that wasn't true at all. After they got here, they made several trips back to their home country, and nobody bothered them. Right. Now, I don't know if you've been following the cases that Justice Scalia, had he lived, would have been um, uh, adjudicating or judging. Uh, I wonder if you could talk, if you've uh, followed this, about some of the key cases that you think might go a different way uh, should a more liberal judge uh, be placed uh, on the Supreme Court. Well, Obama's uh, idea of judges is that they will follow the the left-wing party line. And uh, he's appointed now more than 300 judges to the federal judiciary. And a lot of those will become law because the Supreme Court won't take a review of them. And uh, that's very, very unfortunate and very dangerous. And uh, we need to uh, make sure that uh, we have a, a good, solid uh, Supreme Court and, and federal courts who follow the Constitution and don't try to make it up as they go along. Right, right. And um, when you talk about the kingmakers, uh, most people, of course, uh, when they follow U.S. politics, they see the candidates, but they don't see the party machinery, sort of the wizard behind the curtain. Uh, and I know that you first wrote about the kingmakers way back in 1964 in uh, A Choice, Choice Not an, an Echo. echo. Yeah, what is it that uh, people need to see that I think Trump is kind of revealing by doing daring things like pointing out how stacked the audience is in the debates with uh, party donors uh, and donors to candidates? What, who are the kingmakers and what is it that Trump is revealing through his march uh, across the uh, conservative landscape? Well, the kingmakers have poured a lot of money into this campaign because I know it's the most important election of our lifetime. And uh, it's... Uh, it's really a danger, and we need to we need to make sure the grassroots can pick their own candidate. That's what uh, democracy is all about. That's what it meant when the Constitution said government of the people and by the people. And uh, 
So uh, it's very necessary that everybody be involved. I'm urging all of our Eagle Forum members and uh, everybody uh, I know who cares about the future of our country to uh, to uh, be part of the process in get you, getting yourself elected a delegate to the Republican National Convention so that you can have your voice. Uh, they all think now, all the speculation is, it's going to be a wide open convention when uh, nobody will arrive with 51% of the vote. And I don't know, I'm not a predictor. But uh, at any rate, uh, we have to be ready for all eventualities. And Eagle Forum has, has a guy named Ed Martin, our new president of Eagle Forum, who has studied the rules and will help guide you uh, to make the, the legal choice uh, of what to do, because there'll be all kinds of procedural motions. Uh, you know, and I, I can remember the convention when uh, the key, uh, one key vote was in the credentials committee, and they got to the governor of, of California, who had the largest delegation, uh, to throw his entire delegation's vote uh, to, uh, to uh, Eisenhower, as, as opposed to Bob Taft, whom the grassroots were for. And the result was they bribed him, and he got paid off with the first appointment to the Supreme Court. And that's how he got to be uh, on the court. But we don't want anything like that. Uh, we want the people, to the grassroots, to pick uh, the candidate they want. And they do not want one who is beholden to the, to the kingmakers. And you've talked, I think, about the danger of the Paul Ryan-Marco-Rubio combination, uh, should Marco Rubio ascend to the presidency. What do you find particularly dangerous about that duo uh, with regards to uh, immigration in particular? Well, I was the first one to endorse Marco Rubio. I, f I flew down to uh, Florida to stand with him and endorse him when he ran for the Senate. But he has betrayed most of what I thought I was voting for. And uh, he, there's no question about that. And he signed up with that gang of eight, which was calling for uh, amnesty uh, for all, anybody, basically anybody who wanted to come in. And uh, uh, so I'm so disappointed in Marco Rubio because I think he betrayed everything that, that I stuck my neck out and voted for uh, when he was first running for the Senate. And uh, I, I think we have to uh, uh, elect somebody who's a definite uh, voice of the grassroots, and and there, and that's uh, what I think about uh, uh, about uh, Trump, and and also about uh, Cruz. And uh, we want to make sure that somebody who's a voice of the people is uh, nominated for president, because I'm hoping that the country will not uh, elect Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, that they will elect a Republican candidate. And I can't for the life of me, I, I had sort of drifted away from the political process just because it seemed so preordained. Uh, I guess I had sort of sensed the whiff of the kingmakers behind the throne. But Trump has sort of drawn me back into reengaging and being reinterested in the American political process. And I think, Mrs. Schlafly, like I literally cannot think of a precedent 
in American history where somebody with this kind of name recognition, with this kind of experience and expertise and star power and recognizability and wealth to be able to self-fund as well as the commitment to do so. Am I missing something? Has this happened before in American politics in even as close uh, a scale as Donald Trump? Well, no, I think Trump Trump is a... Uh, a guy of his own making, and I don't think there's ever been everybody just like him. However, I will remind you that when I worked for Ronald Reagan, uh, before he was finally nominated in 1980, uh, he went through uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, a, a, a lot of uh, dissection by uh, grassrooters who thought he was not conservative. Are loyal enough, and uh, you remember he had done a number of things we don't like. He had signed the worst divorce bill in the history of our country. He had signed an abortion bill, and uh, he. Uh, a lot of people thought he was not a real conservative, and uh, some of us were supporting Phil Crane, who you probably don't even remember him, uh, who we thought was a real conservative. But at any rate, we finally got Reagan nominated, and it was a great thing, and he turned out to be the best president we had in the 20th century. And uh, I think we can do that again if the grassroots will stand together and uh, and not be dissuaded by uh, some of these attacks on Trump or Cruz. All right. Now, uh, just I, I know we're tight on time, so I just wanted to to give you the opportunity, Mrs. Schlafly, to communicate to the listeners, to the, the folks, why is this election so important and what should they really be planning to do over this election season? Well, I think this is the most important election of our lifetime uh, because uh, we, we need to decide whether we're going to go along with Obama fundamentally transforming America, as he said he wanted to do. And he has make it, made a fundamental transformation in many ways. He has done uh, issued so many executive actions that we think are plainly unconstitutional and which his friends on the court have not called unconstitutional. And uh, so I feel that this election, which will control not only uh, the president's presidency, the president uh, branch of government, but also the the uh, court branch of the government, because we have a vacancy that needs to be filled. And I'm urging all Republicans uh, not to confirm anybody at the present time. I think we should wait for the next uh, uh, next president. Uh, we we just don't need to have uh, uh, a, a nominee right now. So I urge the American people to accept the idea that we'll just have eight judges for the rest of this year, and then we'll have an election and we'll bring our country back to the right path. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Schlafly. Uh, you always can a always go chat. on my website, eagleforum.org, for more information. Yes, and we'll link to that in the show notes for this. Uh, as always, a great pleasure. Uh, thanks so much, and I look forward to seeing your next output regarding the election. And, and for those who haven't read Mrs. Schlafly's uh, comments and articles and interviews, I strongly recommend it. Uh, she is an elegant and passionate writer uh, and um, uh, well worth uh, absorbing. So thank you very much, Mrs. Schlafly. Always a great pleasure. Thank you, and have a good day. You too.